Can you hear now? Yes. yes. <laughs> the crackling. <laughs> Late and starting to rain, it's time to go home. We've wandered long enough in empty buildings. I know it's tempting to stay and meet those new people. I know it's even more sensible to spend the night here with them, but I want to go home. We've seen enough beautiful places with signs on them saying, this is God's house. That's seeing the grain like the ants do without the work of harvesting. Let's leave grazing to cows and go where we know what everyone really intends, where we can walk around without clothes on. So you... (laughs) So you may have felt that sense over as the week has gone on of being able to be here in this environment as yourself, without the extras, without the personalities without the ways that we define ourselves as being less than. This sense of being unworthy or less than. Maybe in this environment, recognizing your own kindness. Not just the kindness coming towards you and receiving that and feeling that, but a clearer sense of one's own kindness. There's this feeling of relaxation and comfort and um, being able to be yourself, to walk around without your clothes. And so in leaving, maybe there's all sorts of emotions or feelings. I know for some of you it's truly daunting what you're going back into. And this has been a, a bit of a respite. A bit, a bit of a, a peaceful space in the midst of, of enormous difficulties. And for others of you, you know, you're dying to leave. <laughs> I know this to be, to be so. <laughs> you know, let the closing be over. Just get me out of here. <laughs> and there's this sense of something delightful or exciting to come. And I just would say that um, although this is a sense of home, and maybe one has really found one's home here in different ways, um, our home is neither here nor what we're going back to and perceiving as home. These are all temporary homes. And we know this. We really do know this. We just forget it over and over again because we're afraid. But our practice, our kind of invitation is to find home within. And so in this environment, and equally so, when we're in our usual, everyday, habitual environment, can we continue to take our clothes off? And (laughs) so to speak, we don't, we never in practice want to get weirder than we (laughs) began as. But this, this, this possibility of ease and of continuing to care for one's heart. And just remembering that everything changes. Everything changes. I think this is one of the enormous challenges that we, we come to see so clearly in our lives is that everything is changing. And we do come in t- contact with the 10,000 sorrows as well as the 10,000 joys. 
You know, we recognize them more, we're sensitized, we're open-hearted with the great beauties of this world and the enormity of suffering that is present in this world. And so we continue to do the work of recognizing that it's always possible to care for the hard. Whatever it is that's happening, whatever the situation or circumstances or conditions that change, sometimes in beautiful ways and sometimes in horrible ways, we recognize that we can continue to nourish this sense of home, of steadiness, of beauty within our own hearts. And when we do this, you know, we, we can't help but share it with others. I think it's one of those, those things that sometimes we like and sometimes we don't like, that you know, when we are suffering, we can't help but share that misery with others. And, you know, we don't want to. We don't want to. And yet it, it inevitably happens. It kind of motivates us to practice when we don't want to practice because we don't want to share it. Yeah? And then when we know something, when there's any degree of understanding or, or um, anything like that happening, then that is inevitably shared with others as well. And it kind of just goes in and out and back and forth. And we are incredibly interconnected. And this is really the way things are. And this is why we work with the precepts, is not as shoulds, not as judgments on us, not as ways to contemn ourselves even more than we might already, but as guidelines for living a beautiful life together. So just remembering from the beginning of the retreat, because of how deeply our lives intertwine, I undertake the precepts of non-harmful actions and speech. You know, because of how deeply our lives intertwine, I undertake the um, training of moving ever more so towards metta, loving-kindness, friendliness, expansiveness, spaciousness, ease, and compassion. So here we are in this very simple environment. When we came, it seemed too simple, too bare, probably for some of us. And then we found our way into the schedule. You know, and now it just seems like it's, it's kind of easy to be here, maybe. You know? And then it's this invitation to enter our lives more fully and to express our practice, to actually express our practice in our everyday lives, to take up the things of life wisely. And we have a fresh chance now, because we break a certain habit pattern by being here. There's a certain way that that which propels us from behind has been broken to some degree. Maybe not radically, but to some degree broken. It stopped a certain kind of relentless momentum you know, have to do, have to become, have to get, have to get absorbed into, have to be entertained, have to um, work, have to, you know, have to, have to, have to. As if if we did anything different, everything would fall apart. And we see that that's not so. You know, by here, there's a kind of that momentum has been broken, and it's it's absolutely an incredible part of going on retreat. But now, as we move out, you know, our practice is not to cling to this extraordinary form. And, you know, I'm the first to say how invaluable and extraordinary the 
form of retreat life is. I think it's just remarkable. And at the same time, any degree of clinging is going to hold us back from participating fully and completely in life as it's happening from moment to moment. So practice being to appreciate the fact that the momentum has been broken. And we don't even always know this so clearly until we actually leave the building. But when we leave, we begin to see that is so. And then this chance, this kind of new and fresh chance to approach things, it's kind of exciting, to approach things in a different, non-habitual way. So recognizing what are the things in life, what are our ordinary reactions to this or to that. And we have this chance right now to look with a very fresh and clear and heartfelt kind of awareness, to look at everything in a fresh and a new way. This is what is possible right now. And it's not like you can fail. You know, you're not going out and taking this test and finding out that you can't do it and you're failing and all of that. That's not what I'm implying at all. It's more just to recognize that we can look in a different way. We can be aware. We don't have to be as caught up in or overwhelmed by or lost in or absorbed into or overly fascinated by or kind of chronically averse to. It's possible for us to bring our hearts into our life and then let all of that ripple. In caring for our hearts, we care for the hearts of all beings in this world. So it's the same practice when we leave. It's not different. The forms, of course, are really different and maybe sometimes extremely different because the forms are talking and relationship and not having food just kind of appear magically. (laughs) I did a a long retreat where I came out and someone um, very, you know, graciously picked me up to bring me home and wanted to stop to uh, get some food at the supermarket. And I thought, what? Yeah? (laughs) I kind of so quickly become institutionalized. I I have to buy food. I have to, you know, because it just it just comes. It just magically appears here. I mean, of course, it's it's the work of so many to feed us during the week. Um, but uh, you know, it's it's when we get home, it's working with the elements of life, whatever one's own elements are, whatever one's own elements are. This is what we pick up and appreciate and respect as our elements. You know, not like we should have somebody else's elements, but our elements. So important to get behind one's life in that way. I think it's a life of just constant suffering if we're always thinking we should have somebody else's elements. or you know, Because it just is how it is that our practice is to pick up our own elements and to um, see our way into liberation through the materials that are right in front of us. We have what we need to free ourselves. We have what we need to free ourselves. To remember that the sitting practice um, is such an important, wonderful thing to do. And it is easy when we've been sitting as long as we have here to feel that it's going to be really easy when we get home. And it, it isn't. I mean, for some people it, it is. 
But for most people, it's not easy at all. And yet to have that time, no matter how long it is. Modest aspirations, not you know, hour after hour after hour in one's mind, fantasy life. You know? I mean, the fantasy life about sitting when you're home can be so strong. You know, it's much more thrilling than actually being with things as they are <laughs> in the here and now. But then, you know, we kind of have to believe that fantasy and think it's going to be a certain way. And just remembering how, um, I don't know, we, we know something now. All of us know something now. All of us, many of us here, of course, after having been at this for years, already knew something, but we know it in a different way. Every time we take up the practice with dedication and commitment, we know the same things in a different way. So we get to apply the same things, but in a different way. So just the recognition of even a very short amount of sitting every day, that dedicated time to take your clothes off. That dedicated time, (laughs) I'm harping on this theme, because I I like it, but just... (laughs) But just to be, you know, forget practice, forget Buddhism, forget this, forget that. This time of allowing yourself to be as you are, without pretense, without having to be a certain way, without having to um, look a certain way to others, in terms of image or ambition or this kind of thing, but just the space to be. The sitting being that, that space to be. Remembering, I think, as well, that um, community and sangha is just such a huge help when we are in our everyday lives. And to find community for yourself. Many of you here already have a strong kind of community. I know that to be so. But those of you who don't, to find some kind of community is very, very important. And if you're in a situation where you can't, it just isn't happening for you, so be it. You know? Because people, we've been saying this all week, but women all over the world continue to practice right here and right now. And that will be so when you're own, in your own little house, you know, um, trying to work with the principles of practice and um, having, having the sitting practice as well. That... There are so many people at this point. It's thriving. You know, it's something that's actually going up. It's thriving. We can look in such a dire way at uh, so many things that are going on in the world these days, but there is something that is unbelievably true and thriving, and this is happening as well. We're getting it. You know, we're actually getting it that we can't continue in the same way. And there's more and more... um, of us who are really valuing uh, what really should be valued, kindness and compassion and equanimity, steadiness and wisdom. So when you sit, when you're by yourself or when you're walking or when you're eating or whatever it might be, it doesn't have to be the sitting, you know, just living a life to remember that we're all doing it together. And you can kind of just have the sense of all of us here because that's very helpful and very strengthening. And then you can also just have the sense of all over the world, um, this kind of greater sense of sangha is very palpable, very tangible. And it can help for oneself, feeling alone or isolated, to have this greater sense of community of sangha.
So I guess I, I also just want to mention um, so many of you have um, kind of had new experiences in the realms of, of metta and compassion throughout the week. And, uh, you know, such a small thing can help. I mean, I know at in Cambridge at CIMC, um, we have a, a staff there that is just very, very oriented towards kindness. And it has such an effect. Just someone going into the office and being greeted in a certain way has such a huge effect on a life. I see it over and over again. So this is something that we are touched by and touch others by and um, is such an enormous power in our lives. And I guess I I also want to um, encourage you to sustain a sense of intention. To, I think, on a retreat, our intentions get clearer. What's motivating us gets clearer. It's something that uh, sometimes is eye-opening and also allows us to form intentions that are in alignment with our deepest aspirations in life. And so whatever you've discovered for yourself, this is what can be um, kind of sustained in an everyday life, is this powerful sense of intention. And, um, you know, um, Master Sheng Yan, the teacher I spoke about earlier, um, his intention was this, and so I just want to pass this on to you as just a little bit of transmission. He said, although this universe may someday perish, my vows are eternal. Yeah, although this universe may someday perish, you know, we don't know, my vows are eternal. So to really hold that very dear to one's heart, to recognize our vows are the most important thing that we have. Everything follows in alignment with our deepest desires, our deepest longings, our deepest aspirations in life. I think of um, understanding Dharma in whatever way we do understand it as having access to a great secret treasure. We have access to something that is is so, we can go about the world and it doesn't, we don't have special clothing in this practice and we don't have special names or special rituals or special, you know, it's just very, very ordinary. We're just living our lives. We're just living it with the sense of the ordinary being sacred. So every place that we are becoming a, a practice place for us. But it's, it's utterly ordinary as well, and yet there is this secret great treasure that we know about and we have access to and we can share with others. So as we move out into the world, there is really this great invitation to see Dharma wherever we are, not to see it in a narrow way as belonging to a particular place or with one person or with a particular building, but always here, now, alive. This is just um, roomy as well. This we have now is not imagination. This is not grief or joy, not a judging state or an elation or sadness. Those come and go. This is the presence that doesn't. Mm. So just to end by saying how 
Um, much respect I have for everyone in this room and such gratitude for your practice. And I don't know, it's just it's such a privilege to see everyone um, over the years changing and growing and kind of, you know, not even knowing that, but I see it. And it's really such an honor and such a privilege to continue to work with you over the years. So I would say to those of you at CIMC, see you at home. And to those of you that I see once or twice a year, see you here. And to everyone else, see you around. (laughs) Thank you. So I also really want to offer my, my very heartfelt appreciation for, for how you've been here this week. Such dedication, such commitment, such silence, such grace. It has really been wonderful and we have, I have delighted in it. Um, there's the endings of retreats in a way that seems like there's always a lot that could be said and Maybe we've already said a lot, and um, maybe not much to say. And strangely, this morning I find I don't have any thoughts. <laughs> I think if I wait around a moment or two, they, they might come. Taking care with this transition taking care with this transition. Sometimes, you know, we become sort of so naturalized into the silence and slowing down and quietude that actually we forget the world's moving on a very, very different pace, particularly at this time of year. It all gets a little frenetic and and frazzled. Taking care with the transition, your own transition, really encourage you to take a lot of moments to pause Take a lot of moments to pause, and that's really possible, you know. So many moments in our life, it's just possible to take a moment to pause, to feel our bodies, to breathe out. It doesn't take long, it's just a moment, but it can make such a big difference. Not feeling the need to catch up on every single email, every single call, every single program we've got taped, you know. It it just, in a way, kind of uh, slow it all down a little. Take the urgency out, is what I would really encourage. Take the urgency out. I don't find that life is much help by, by urgency. Um, it, it, it picks up agitation. And sometimes taking the urgency out is really looking once more at the state of our mind, as we have done many times on this retreat. You know, that having much that needs to be attended to and having much that needs to be answered and, and tended to actually does not necessarily equate into being agitated. You know, this may be somewhat optional. So taking the urgency out, I always find that whenever there's an urgency, you know, that's really the best moment to pause. The best moment to pause is it's like when Ajahn Chah, one of the teachers with much love in this tradition was once asked the right amount to practice you know he said half an hour a day is just fine you know except if you're really busy then an hour (laughs) 
And there's something about that, you know, about really, you know, kind of that kind of feeling like, you know, oh, I'm busy, I, you know, I can't do this. But busyness is also a state of mind. There's much to do in all of our lives. But busyness is truly a state of a very unhelpful state of mind, I think. Always being able to pause, to breathe out, to just take that moment of, of stepping outside of the agitation, very, very helpful. Being aware that many of you will be going home to see people you care about and love, people looking forward, perhaps, or not, to your return, <laughs> however that might be. Um, being aware that you may have had a few conversations already in your mind about, you know, recounting your retreat and, you know, moment-to-moment -moment descriptions of your changing mind states. Just, just being aware that all those folks have been holding down the fort and walking the dog and taking out the garbage, you know, and if you see their eyes begin to glaze over, you know, it might be a moment to ask, well, how are you? in that moment. People sometimes, I think, in our world, particularly when so many people do carry so many demands, and I think particularly as women, many of you find that, you know, you are much more um, needing to take care of people often. It seems to often come in women's lives very much, needing to take care of people. And sometimes that, you know, that is met with tremendous kindness and compassion. I know many of you here in situations where you're being asked to take care of people. And, you know, that is often being asked in the midst of a life which is already full. And it is, I think, you know, the, how we embrace that landscape that sometimes it feels like there is more asked than there is to give. But I think part of this practice is, is, you know, we've talked so much this week about sufficiency. You know, we don't actually have limited reserves of metta. We actually don't have limited reserves of compassion. We don't have limited reserves of our capacity to, to care for. I know it sometimes feels that way. But that is often when, you know, there's a certain escalation in our own minds and hearts about how much there is to do, how much lies in front of, ahead of us, rather than that which lies just right in front of us. And that's only the, the only thing we've ever, ever been able to take care of. Not what lies ahead, but what lies in front. And, and right before us, and, and we see how much this practice is about learning to stand near to that which lies right before us, not so much ahead. Sometimes people ask about, you know, how demanding it is to fit this practice into their life, and more, I think, if we talk about good questions, how do I fit my life into this path, is a better question. How do I fit my life into this path? And that doesn't mean, you know, that, that we imagine a life where we're going to be sitting and walking all day. Of course we don't. But also the Buddha recognized this when he talked about a path of awakening that, you know, formal practice was one aspect of that. But much to do with how we interface with the world, with our speech, our actions, our thoughts, our capacity to be present, our our work, all of this was always considered to be part of this path. 
And I think what, what we've talked about so much this week is, you know, there are so many conditions in life that we simply cannot control, fix, repair, grasp, and yet we're also part of that world of conditions. Um, and we are contributing to this matrix of conditions with every thought, with every word, with every choice, with every act. And I think, you know, as we practice here, we see how much every, each of our thoughts, each of our acts, each of the words, not so much, but how all of them splinter into thousands of consequences that we cannot always see how they land. But, you know, this practice has always been about making a difference in the ways that we can. Making a difference in the ways that we can. You know, living in a world where there is so much alienation and fear and, uh, you know, out of control, fear and selfing and protecting, um, the difference we can make actually is in the moment, I think, when anything, any of the conditions we bring to this world are really guided by kindness, guided by compassion, guided by our willingness to listen, to connect, to engage, to actually touch the heart of another and to be able to be touched, I think, is often far more available to, the, to us in this life than we, we imagine. The small moments make a difference. And, you know, as I mentioned earlier on the retreat, you know, one of these definitions of mindfulness is to care. To care about how all things splinter and affect the world around us, just as we are affected by the world around us. The world has always been changed by people willing to make a difference not out of judgment, not out of blame or shame, but out of honoring what is, you know, most, of, most enduring value, most enduring significance. And I think in some ways, a retreat actually is of this process, I think, of unlayering. And sometimes what, only things can fall away that are not of enduring significance. That's all that can ever fall away. And in that unlayering, I think we sometimes come a little bit closer to, you know, how important it is that as things fall away, as all that we cannot control, yet we can care. We can commit to friendliness. We can commit to warmth. We can commit to being quite a conscious participant in our world. Um, and to expand, you know, always to expand the arena of our concern. To expand the arena of our concern. Um, to include those close to us, those not close to us, our planet, our climate, our, our justice, our everything that makes up uh, a world which is really a gathering of people. So how do I fit my life into the practice? Well, you know, I try to take as much care of my speech, my thoughts, my acts as I can, not knowing how they land, not knowing where they land. We talk a lot about, um, you know, a commitment to, to an ongoing practice, and I know this is a very challenging piece, you know, 
for many people to establish. And yet, you know, even on this retreat, I have people come who tell me they finally, you know, after 10 years or after 15 years, found their way to have a regular practice in their life. What are we practicing? (laughs) Practicing remembering. Um, And it is a journey. It is a journey, but actually it really does make a difference because that's then the place that we approach our day and our life from. I could never say it's irrelevant or makes no difference. I see the difference that it makes. To do that, one thing to take care of is our sense of inspiration and nourishment. You know, I don't think it's ever ever that helpful that our practice arises from a place of I should or I must or I'm ticking the box off, you know. Um, Inspiration is deeply important. You know, what nourishes our heart, what nourishes our our motivation, what nourishes that spark of aliveness and exploration and investigation. Because this is not about sitting and watching the breath. It's about, you know, the investigation of our life, the understanding of our life. And I think to approach this with joy is very important. Not so much chipping away at the coal face, you know, but with joy. And I think for joy to be there, it rests upon inspiration, nourishment, to do what we can to find that. I mean, one of the great blessings of this technological age, of course, is that we have such access to Dharma material, you know. I mean, quite frankly, it's almost embarrassing to say, but you can log in to Narayan and I almost any minute of the day. And, it, and Sometimes astonished at how much I have said over the years. I cannot believe it, you know. All those, all those. But, you know, actually, you know, invite us into your house. We're there, you know. There we are, you know. You might get a little weary of it. There they are, you know. Thought I finally managed to leave them behind, but there they are again. Just as there's so much Dharma online, you know, there's so much Dharma available. If you have the good fortune to have friends closer to you to help to nourish each other, this is a wonderful thing to inspire each other with happiness in the practice. The Buddha once said that in a mind of happiness, attention finds a wise foundation rather than just seeing happiness as a result of the practice? How do we cultivate the conditions in our lives and our hearts that really encourage us to be present, invite us to be more awake? And it is community, it's listening, it's, it's just, a sense, just a sense of exploration, which is alive, which is alive. That's the most important part of this practice, is to feel alive in this journey that it's ongoing, unfolding, a curiosity, and, and never to know a sense of arriving or ending, but this ongoing sense of, of understanding. Um, we do not know the bottom. We do not know the bottom. We do not always know what is possible for us. So my encouragement, continue. There's another moment, there's another invitation, however it is, you know. Be forgiving of yourself. Many moments we stumble. 
Many moments we can be forgetful. Many moments we might have regret. Be forgiving. Um, judgment is not an encouragement to begin again. But forgiveness often allows that, that generosity of heart. Y- yes, we stumble. We can actually take the next step. This morning I was reflecting upon this week and um, I don't know what we've cultivated and nurtured and learned and what we learned and is to connect and to be present, perhaps to open and soften, to stand near, to befriend and maybe even to love what's ever happening. We've learned to remember how to connect to ourselves, to each other, and maybe even to our true nature. And I think we've discovered what it means to be alive. And even to be whole. Even if only for a few minutes. Our practice is really for our heart to open and to awaken. And as Narayan said, it doesn't matter what we're doing or what, what's happening or what the conditions are or what's arising. It's really just to live a life that's committed and connected to whatever is. And living our lives connected to um, awakening or inner freedom, this means to put our bodies and our minds and our hearts into fully living every moment of our life. Everything that we meet, everything that we encounter is our life. Everything that we meet, everything that we encounter is our practice. Everything that we encounter and meet is our life. Everything we encounter and meet is our practice. Get it? So to live our life dedicated to awakening and inner freedom, it's really just what we've been doing, caring for, befriending, standing near, everything. It's essential to come close, no matter what's happening. And to bring to it our hearts, our kindness, our care. I really think if we listen carefully and if we're really receptive, every single moment can teach us about love, about kindness, freedom, compassion. We just have to listen. So every moment we can learn, every moment is a chance to grow in understanding right now, this moment. So, thank you.
We'd just like to end with just a very short sitting and dedication. So just for this last time, just taking your seat softly, wakefully, upright. Mindful of your body, your mind, your heart in this moment. So receptive in our listening. And just expanding just that field of awareness, the circle of your awareness, to, to just have a knowing, a sensing of each woman in this room, all of those around you, beside you, in front of you, those you know, those you don't know. Yet every single woman who has, in a way, touched you, during this week together, simply through being here, through their silence and sincerity, and offering to all of those around you as much as you can, a very deep sense of friendliness, of warmth, appreciation, respect, And being able to receive that same offering from all of those around you to you. Perhaps widening that circle of awareness to acknowledge the many, many people in our life, those still living, those gone have contributed in so many different ways to our capacity to be here, to be as we are, with generosity, with support, with kindness, sometimes even with challenge. The long lineages of benefactors in our lives sense of thankfulness, of gratitude. And from a a home of stillness and calmness, so freely giving a generous dedication of our retreat, our practice, to all beings near and far, those we know, those that we don't know, those we love and those that we struggle with. That whatever is born of our practice in calmness, in peace, in empathy, may contribute to the well-being, the healing of all beings. That whatever benefits born of our practice in compassion, in kindness, in sensitivity, 
they contribute to the well-being, the happiness, the healing, the freedom of all beings, near and far, known and unknown. Whatever benefits are born of our practice in generosity and understanding and heartfulness, they contribute to the happiness, the well-beings of all beings. May all beings be safe and protected. May all beings be peaceful. May all beings live with ease and with kindness. Travel safely and we get to leave before the snow. (laughs) Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.